Today is the last Sunday after the Epiphany. We hear about the transfiguration of Jesus. The heart of the season of the Epiphany is the question, who is Jesus? At Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of this child, and then we turn in Epiphany to explore the identity of this child. Just who is it that was born with the applause of heaven and the songs of angels? Well, Epiphany answers that question. Epiphany begins with the visit and the worship of the Magi as Jesus, even as a little boy, is revealed to be the Messiah, the true king, not just for Israel, but for the whole world and for all the people. And over the course of this season of Epiphany, this past year, our gospel readings from St. Mark, uh, St. Mark's gospel, and our sermons have centered on the revelation of Jesus as the king who brings the kingdom, on Jesus who has authority to teach and wage war against the enemies of God, and Jesus who brings a kingdom culture of healing, service, and connection with God. And today, as Epiphany comes to a close, we see and we hear a proclamation of Jesus' identity as His glory is revealed in the transfiguration. Jesus' glory as the Son of God, Jesus' glory as the King shines forth, and God Himself speaks in this event. So what happened? Why did it happen, and what difference does it make? Well, Mark is very matter-of-fact in his reporting of this event and telling us what happened. Mark chapter 9, verse 2, he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them, and there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. That's what happened. Simple enough, right? Right? Oh, fantastic. So everyone in here knows exactly what it means for Jesus to have been transfigured. My job is done. Let's carry on with the baptisms. That's right. Was that Dave who gave me a woohoo over there? Oh, that was Doug. Oh, man. Jesus was transfigured. He went from normal walk-on-water Jesus. He went from normal turn water into wine Jesus, normal heal the sick Give sight to the blind, Jesus, normal cast out demons, Jesus, normal hike up the mountain, Jesus, to glow in the dark, Jesus, and faster than a blink of the eye. And I'm sure you've heard of it before, but the word transfigured comes from the same word where we get metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, you know, if you've ever seen that uh, amazing horror movie from the mid-80s called The Fly, which I know was a remake of an amazing horror movie from the 50s. The Fly, the, the scientist transports himself from point A to point B, but oops, there was a fly in the chamber. And so the movie is all about the DNA of the fly splicing itself into the DNA of the man, and he metamorphoses his, his into a fly. Metamorphosize. He changes into a fly, right? That's a, the, and this radical change... This metamorphosis, this transfiguration, this radical change of the doctor who turns into a fly began on the inside. It was an inward change first as his DNA is altered so that it becomes outwardly visible. Now, without Jesus turning into a fly, without Jesus' DNA being changed, without most of that illustration, in fact, I think that helps us think 
about what's happening here. Something is changing about Jesus. He goes for this brief moment in time from the normal natural Jesus that Peter and James and John knew to the transcendent supernatural Jesus as his glory is revealed. As he glows, as he is transfigured before them. St. Matthew talks about Jesus' face shining like the sun with brightness. St. Luke writes that the appearance of his face was altered. And all three accounts, St. Matthew, St. Mark, and St. Luke, make reference to the dazzling appearance of his clothing. And taken together, what, what's happening here, what, what Peter and James and John were being shown, and, and what we're seeing is the revelation of Jesus' glory, his glory as the true king, the son of God. Jesus, like Optimus Prime or like an iceberg, was more than meets the eye. And this is being shown to these three men. Past and future glories being revealed to them as the, the glory that was His as the pre-incarnate eternal Son of God and the glory that will be His as He fulfills and accomplishes the plans and the purposes of God shines forth. For a brief moment in time, Jesus shines with the glory that will be His for all eternity as He ascends into the presence of God and returns with the fullness of the kingdom. And lest we think that this is just about Supernatural Jesus shedding his human skin is not what's happening at all. We have to th remember and, and recognize that within the, the words of the Nicene Creed, within biblical faith, Jesus is fully human and fully divine. And somehow, in some way, this is not Clark Kent Jesus ripping off the, the costume uh, or his suit to show Superman underneath. This is God at work to reveal Jesus' glory that is his own. And yet, while he is still human, it's super weird, right? And I'm trying to tread very carefully not to utter heresy. I don't want to get struck by lightning, especially on a day like today. But why does this happen? Why does it happen here? Why, why is Jesus' glory shown forth for just this few short moments? Why? The transfiguration serves to both reveal and prepare. And in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the transfiguration occurs within the exact same basic series of events. Mark helps us with the clue when he writes, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain. St. Matthew begins his transfiguration account in Matthew chapter 17 by saying that this event occurred six days after and St. Luke, in Luke chapter 9, writes about eight days after. So there's a series of events that are all connected here. The transfiguration coming near the end of this series of events. And in all three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the major event that leads up to the revelation of Jesus' glory in the transfiguration is Peter's good confession of Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the subsequent proclamation by Jesus that he will suffer, die, and rise on the third day. Now, of course, we know what happens in that, that event, in, that, in that, that, that series of events, that story. Upon hearing Jesus fill in the meaning of you are the Christ with death and resurrection, Peter attempted to correct him. Peter, in Matthew chapter 16, says, Far be it from you, O Lord. Peter attempts to correct the teacher. Peter attempts to control the uncontrollable. Peter attempts to understand better than the one he cannot understand, understands himself. 
And that didn't end well with Peter, for Peter. And then if it wasn't difficult enough to hear this, that Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, would, would die and would rise, as if it wasn't difficult enough to hear that, Jesus then told his disciples if they really wanted to be his disciples, if they really wanted to follow after him and be a part of his kingdom, that they would have to take up their crosses and follow after him. And I think they knew exactly what that meant. Because before the cross was a fashion accessory, it was an instrument of execution. And so when I say that Jesus' transfiguration reveals, I, I, I mean that it serves to reveal Jesus' identity as the Christ, the Son of the living God. It ties back to what Peter says, and it ties back to what Jesus has been saying about himself, and it ties forward to what will come, what will occur Jesus, as the Christ, the Son of the living God, isn't just some special human being. He isn't just a, a prophet. He isn't just a miracle worker. He isn't going to be the Messiah in a military sense. He's not going to be a political king who establishes some line in the sand and calls it his border. There's more than meets the eye with Jesus. And the transfiguration helps to fill in the gaps for Peter and James and John about what it means for him to be Jesus, the Christ the Son of the living God, as His glory shines forth. Moses and Elijah, I think, are, are part and parcel, part and parcel with this revelation. Mark tells us there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah, two huge heroes of the faith for first century Judaism. Moses and Elijah, perhaps representing the law and the prophets from Israel's past and from our Old Testament, each with a transformative mountaintop experience of their own, here talking with Jesus. I think their presence points toward the superiority of Jesus. They're there to give witness to Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is shining forth His own glory, there was a moment in time when Moses' face shone with glory, but it was a reflected glory. Moses was like the moon that shines, reflects back the sun's light. Jesus is like the sun. He's shining with his own glory. Moses was the mediator of the law and the one through whom God formed a people. And here, Moses is giving testimony. He's giving witness that Jesus fills to a greater degree that same function and role. Jesus will bring and give a new law, a new and greater covenant, and Jesus will form a people around himself. Jesus is the new and greater Moses. Elijah, in the pages of the Old Testament, was the prophet most closely connected to the coming of the new era brought by the Messiah. In fact, in the next to last verse of the entire Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 reads, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Faithful and expectant first century Jewish men and women looked for Elijah to come and to herald the new era. And here in front of Peter, James, and John stood Elijah himself heralding the new era because Jesus is standing in front of them. Jesus revealed as greater than Moses and the law, as greater than Elijah and the prophets. Jesus revealed as the one they pointed toward. And Peter's big mistake in this passage 
is to treat the three of them as equals. Peter's big mistake here as he opens mouth and inserts foot is attempting to control the experience, to prolong the experience, to say, hey, let's just live in the glory of this mountaintop experience, build tents and hang out until God uh, breaks in. And a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter must have had a smoke machine and a light array to signal to God that it was time for, the, for him to come down. I'm sorry? Yeah, they had to. Now, God breaks in. I said that facetiously, of course. God breaks in. To remove all doubt about what is happening, God the Father speaks into this event and in words that are strikingly similar to that which he spoke at Jesus' baptism as we once again hear heavenly witness given in an endorsement to Jesus. A cloud falls upon the mountain, reminiscent of the cloud that descended upon Mount Sinai, the tabernacle, and the temple, the cloud of God's glory, which meant that God himself has come present and imminent on the mountaintop. Once again, saying this isn't just another prophet. This isn't just another miracle worker or messianic pretender. The disciples don't get what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. They couldn't and didn't really understand what was happening here. And so the identity of Jesus has to be revealed to them. And folks, we're no different. The identity of Jesus has to be revealed to us. Paul Barnett, a retired bishop of North Sydney, has said, Flesh and blood does not discover truth about God. God reveals it. And so it is, even in the face of this magnificent event of the transfiguration, God has to reveal Jesus as the Son of God, the one to whom they should listen. And this leads us to the, the second why. The transfiguration occurs to reveal. The transfiguration occurs to prepare. The voice from heaven calls Peter and James and John to listen to Jesus. But to listen about what? Again, if we look at the wider context, we would have to conclude that the voice is calling them to listen to Jesus when he talks about his identity, when he talks about his coming, suffering, and death, when he talks about his resurrection, when he talks about the cost of their discipleship. They're to listen to Jesus because at this point in Mark's gospel, there's a whole lot yet to occur in a very short period of time. More men and women will receive healing. There will be more difficult teaching from Jesus. There will be confrontations with religious leaders. There will be more of Jesus talking about his death and his resurrection. And then there will be the betrayal and arrest of Jesus, his bloody crucifixion followed by the glory of his resurrection. And the Father here, God, is saying, all of that's going to happen. You've got to listen to Jesus. This mountaintop experience where it is revealed that there is more to Jesus than meets the eye is to serve as a touchstone of sorts for Peter and James and John as they endure what is to come. It's something that they can refer back to, they can ponder upon, they can remember again what they saw and what they heard. When it gets hard in the middle of the valley, they can go back to the mountaintop in their minds and say, you know, remember that time? Peter was a real idiot, but there was a bunch of glory, and, and it was amazing, and the sun... And Peter was probably thinking in his own mind, you know, I was so scared I didn't know what to say. And I'm just a personality that can't stand silence, so I had to say something. And what came out of my mouth was absolutely embarrassed. But there was this glory 
and Jesus and, and Moses and, and, the, and the voice from heaven. Could it be that this event, this transfiguration, also serves as preparation for Jesus? Back in verse 4, St. Mark reported that Elijah and Moses were talking with Jesus, and St. Luke reports the content of the conversation. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 9, it says that they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They spoke of his exodus that he was about to accomplish. Moses and Elijah are here with Jesus talking about that which he's going to do. They're talking about uh, his coming work of redemption, the new exodus, which Jesus will accomplish through the crucifixion and his resurrection. And in fact, a few verses after St. Luke records the transfiguration account in chapter 9, in Luke chapter 9, the author writes, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And for the rest of St. Luke's gospel, Jesus is resolute on his way to the cross. So perhaps it is then that this transfiguration event is for Jesus' preparation. A reminder of sorts about who he is, confirmation that he is the Son of God, confirmation that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, confirmation that he is the one to whom Moses and Elijah pointed, confirmation that he is a good and faithful servant, that he is the Son of God with whom God is well pleased in his perfect obedience. Perhaps it is then that this transfiguration even is a touchstone for Jesus, this mountaintop experience as he descends into the valley of struggle, descends into the valley of betrayal and arrest, descends into the valley of crucifixion. The transfiguration is a moment of revelation and a moment of preparation. Revelation that Jesus of Nazareth is the king of glory and thus worthy to be heard. And it is preparation for the suffering to come. But what difference does it make? Right? I mean, that's a simple question, but I think a fair question to ask. What difference does it make? We can perhaps imagine the difference that it made for Jesus. And and we can uh, certainly know that it made a huge difference for Peter, James, and John. Peter references the transfiguration in his second epistle. But what difference does it make to us 2,000 years later? Well, like so many times, I answered the question by saying, folks, it makes all the difference in the world. In a real sense, we are just like Peter and James and John. We receive revelation about Jesus' identity, something we need, something the world needs desperately. We don't gin it up. We can't figure it out. We can't find out for ourselves. We cannot apply our rational minds and empirical evidence. We can't work the scientific theory and come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God. It has to be revealed to us, just as it has to be revealed to Peter and James and John. And his identity as the Son of God is incredibly important because truth hangs in the balance. And I would argue that his identity is incredibly important because atonement and salvation and the very kingdom of God hang in the balance. In a BBC documentary called Looking for the Historical Jesus, Jeremy Bowen stated about Jesus, the important thing is not what he was or what he wasn't. The important thing is what people believe him to have been. And I do hope that you hear me say that and you hear the problem with the statement. 
just as I do hope that you hear me read that and you disagree with Mr. Bowen. Because it does matter who Jesus is. It matters for what Jesus accomplished. Jesus is more than meets the eye. And in this brief moment in time, we catch a glimpse of his glory. A glimpse of his glory as the eternal son of God. The glory that was his before the incarnation. The glory that will be his at the resurrection, ascension. And the glory that comes with him when he brings the fullness of his kingdom. Quite frankly, if Jesus is just a guy, then we're the biggest fools in the world, and his death was an utter travesty. But because Jesus is the eternal Son of God, because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, proclaimed by Moses and Elijah, witnessed by the voice of God himself, there is salvation, there is life, there is kingdom. There's also a sense in which the transfiguration prepares us as well. If indeed this event was a mountaintop glimpse of glory in preparation for the difficulty of the valley to come, and if it is a glimpse of the glory that will be received after that difficult valley has been traversed, then perhaps it is to aid us as we enter into the season of Lent. Lent if we do it right, is a difficult season. It can be a valley if we're intentional about it. Lent can be a season in which God helps us to recognize hard things about ourselves as he calls us to put down sin and sinfulness with intentionality. Lent can be a season of repentance, of seeking God, and maybe, just maybe, this transfiguration can steal us for the journey by showing us Jesus' glory behind and by showing us the promise of glory that lies ahead at the resurrection. And finally, the command to listen ought to be heard. The entire event is summarized as a revealing of Jesus of Nazareth as the true king of God's kingdom and God's son. Jesus is the only one in the entirety of the world who's worthy to be heard and listened to. Because he's the only one in the entirety of the world that can say that he is the true king of God's kingdom and God's son. And so maybe, just maybe, perhaps we need to hear what Peter needed to hear. Which is, if you accept my loose translation of the ancient Greek, shut your mouth, Peter. Close your mouth and open your ears. Stop telling Jesus who he is and what he can and cannot do. Stop trying to control one you cannot even comprehend. Listen. Listen to him. Maybe that's just something that we need to hear. Maybe that's something our world needs to hear. Jesus is the true king. Jesus is the son of God. The one to whom we listen. And his glory as the true king, as the son of God, is revealed in the transfiguration. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious God, we praise you and give you thanks. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you that you don't leave yourself without record, but rather you show and reveal all that we need for life in you and life in your kingdom. Be at work in our hearts and our minds as we prepare for this coming Lent. Give us strength to do that which you've called us to do. 
to not shy away from the hard thing in the middle of Lent, but rather to press into it so that we may find your grace, your forgiveness, your restoration, your healing, and your renewal. Give us strength and ever set the hope of glory before us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and continue our worship. Ooh, now we're going to